welcome back to the Killer Kind Podcast. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving with their family while remaining healthy and safe, hopefully. Um, And I wanted to say thank you to everyone on the positive feedback lately on last week's episode and just the podcast in general lately. I'm constantly hearing people say they listen to the podcast and they've got a friend that listens or a family member, coworker, patient of theirs. I mean, I've heard a wide variety. So, um, and I'm just so thankful for everyone that's listening and I, it just means the world to hear that people are loving it. So thank you guys so much. Um, now because of the positive feedback on the Halloween series I did back in October and because I've had a few people request this, (laughs) I'm going to do a Christmas series this month. I think we ended up doing about three Halloween episodes, so I'm going to try to get three Christmas episodes in as well, so stay tuned for that. Now, without further ado, let's just go ahead and jump into the first Christmas episode of the season and discuss the horrific case of the Carnation Murders. Carnation, Washington is located about 25 miles east of Washington's largest city, Seattle. Although it has a status of a city, Carnation actually takes up all of 1.1 square miles and is home to just over 2,100 people. The landscape is rural and most residents are employed in farming. And according to the City of Carnation website, um, Carnation is one of the most productive agricultural regions in the Northwest. The area is safe and considered a good place to raise a family. There are the odd burglary and theft cases, but violent crime is rare, if not virtually unheard of. This was true, however, up until December 24th, 2007. The day one of the worst murder cases in Washington state history hit Carnation. The festive season has never quite been the same. Wayne Anderson, 60 years old, and Judy Anderson, 61, had been happily married for 31 years around Christmas 2007. Judy worked for the U.S. Postal Service while Wayne was an engineer for Boeing. Together, they had three children, Mary and Scott, both 32, and then Michelle, 29. Scott was married with two children. His wife's name was Erica. Michelle Anderson lived with her boyfriend, Joseph McEnroe, at the time, and the two actually lived in a trailer on the 10-acre property owned by Judy and Wayne, which was in Carnation, Washington. Now, on Christmas Eve 2007, the family had planned a get-together at Wayne and Judy's house to celebrate the holiday together. The Anderson home was fully decorated for Christmas. The Christmas tree was lit up with blinking lights. There was a pot roast cooking for dinner. I mean, can't you kind of picture the scene here? (laughs) While dinner was in the oven, Judy started wrapping presents for her grandchildren that would be coming that night to open their gifts. And Wayne was just sitting on the couch in the family room, relaxing and watching TV. Perfect little Christmas Eve afternoon, right? However, it was at this moment the Christmas spirit was shattered. Michelle Anderson and her boyfriend, Joseph McEnroe, entered the home, each armed with a handgun. Joseph distracted Judy while Michelle shot at Wayne. Her gun jammed, so McEnroe shot Wayne and then Judy, killing them both. 
Michelle and Joseph cleaned the room and dragged the bodies of Judy and Wayne into a shed behind the house. The two then sat waiting for the arrival of Scott and Erica and their two children. About an hour later, the family arrived. Nothing seemed to miss, so they began to get comfortable. That's when Michelle and Joseph came back into the home and opened fire on Scott, shooting him a total of four times. Erica was able to call 911 around 5 p.m. that night, and while on the phone with 911, she could be heard shouting, Not the kids. But before authorities were able to find out what was going on, the phone went dead. Michelle had shot Erica twice. It was after this that Michelle realized she was out of bullets, so she told Joseph he needed to shoot the children, who are, at the time, screaming and clinging to Erica, which is gut-wrenching to think about. Joseph did exactly as Michelle said. With 14 bullets, Michelle Anderson and Joseph McEnroe killed all six of the Anderson's family members. Now, in response to Erica's 911 call, authorities were dispatched to the Anderson home right away. But Michelle, knowing the police would likely show up, had already gone and locked the gate to the property. Now, this part bothers me to no end. So apparently, when the police arrived and found the gate locked, the police just left, basically shrugging their shoulders and moving on. Are you kidding me? I'm not sure if there was any other attempt to reach the family home, but what the heck? Like, why? Why just leave? I mean, there was just clearly an intense situation. It was clearly an emergency. Why didn't they try a little harder? Based on the fact that Erica was heard screaming on the phone. Them leaving so easily like that without concern just doesn't sit right with me. But anyways. However, it wasn't until two days later when postal workers returned to work after the Christmas holiday on December 26th that people became suspicious. Linda Thiel was a co-worker of Judy's, and when she arrived to work at the post office on the 26th and saw Judy not there, she was convinced that something was wrong. So she left work right away and made her way to Judy's home, arriving shortly after 8 a.m. The gate was still locked, so Theo got out of her car and walked around the gate, approaching the front door. Now, she did knock, but nobody answered, so she tried the door, which just so happened to be unlocked. When she pushed the door open, she saw it. The body of Scott Anderson lying motionless on the floor. At first, Theo thought he had like carbon monoxide poisoning or something like that, but at a closer look, revealed he had been shot in the head. Not far from Scott were the bodies of Erica and their son, Nathan, who all had similar injuries. Linda did not have her cell phone, so she rushed into Judy and Wayne's bedroom and called 911 from their landline. Linda told the 911 operator, and I'll quote her here, Hi, there's a murder. I just came up. She works with me. And, you know, real short and sweet. The operator asked Linda who was there. She replies, there's a baby, a man, and a woman, and she's my best friend. Now, at the time, Linda was too scared to look at Erica's body, so she was assuming this was Judy. The phone call between Linda and the operator lasted about 30 minutes, assuming they kept her on the phone to get as much information as possible. And if you don't know, typically when you call 911 during an emergency like this, especially, they like to stay on the phone with you until police arrive, just in case anything else happens. Now, during the call, 
Linda told the operator that Judy and Wayne's daughter, Michelle, lived on the property in a mobile home, and Michelle had been upset with Judy and Wayne over money. Linda worried that Michelle may have been involved in the killings. Um, She said, quote, the gate is locked, which makes me wonder if her daughter did it, which is scary because then I might be up here with a murderer, she said. Police ended up arriving at 9.30 a.m. First, they found Scott, Erica, and Nathan, which was Scott and Erica's youngest son. And on closer inspection, Olivia, Scott and Erica's second child, was found huddled behind her mother. All four had been shot in the head. Now, they began combing the home for evidence. And when an officer ventured out to the shed, the bodies of Judy and Wayne Anderson were discovered. Around three hours after police arrived, Michelle Anderson and Joseph McEnroe pulled up to Wayne and Judy's home. They did not seem phased by the police cars surrounding the property, because why would they? (laughs) I'm sarcastic here. Nor did they ask if Judy or Wayne were okay, which raised officers' suspicions right away. The authorities began questioning Michelle and Joseph. Anderson told them that they had been on their way to Las Vegas to get married. Okay. But when they got lost, they turned around and came home. I mean, what kind of pathetic excuse of an alibi is that? But whatever. Who knows? It could be true. They don't seem like the brightest people on the planet. So, (laughs) Michelle went on to tell police that the last time she had seen her parents was on Christmas Eve before heading to Las Vegas. When a detective asked Michelle why she thought the authorities were at her house, she, she quickly cracked. She broke down and said, it's not Joe's fault, it's mine. It's all my fault. As soon as I shot the gun, I felt so bad. I'm a monster. The detective asked Michelle why the children had to be killed, and she explained that they would be scarred for life after seeing what had happened to their parents. Michelle was questioned as to why she felt the need to kill her family in the first place, and she told detectives that she was, quote-unquote, tired of everybody stepping on her, claiming that her brother Scott owed her $40,000 and would not pay her back, and that her parents had begun pressing her about paying rent money for living in the mobile home on their property after she and Joseph had lived there for over a year rent-free. It became clear to detectives that money was at the heart of this horrific crime. And when questioned about how long she had been planning the murders, Michelle replied that she had decided two weeks ago that she would kill her family and ask her boyfriend to help her. After both Joseph and Michelle's confessions, which went on for nearly two hours and detailed who killed who and the two were arrested on the spot. Anderson led detectives to where she and McEnroe had discarded the two handguns, which was in the Stillaguamish River. Don't hold me to that pronunciation. Um, It was about an hour away from the family house. Now, on December 28, 2007, Michelle and Joseph were each charged with six counts of aggravated murder. In June 2008, during a jailhouse interview with the Seattle Times, Michelle confessed to the murders once again, and I'll quote her here. She said, I want the most severe punishment, which would be the death penalty. I think if I kill a bunch of people, I'm not sure I deserve to live. I want to waive my trial. 
Now, despite their confessions to the murder, the process was drawn out for a number of years for some reason. And in October 2008, King County Prosecutor Dan Satterberg said he would seek the death penalty for both McEnroe and Anderson. However, this received significant pushback from Judge Jeffrey Ramsdale, who ruled against it. And also Governor of Washington, Jay Inslee, also said that no one would be executed while he was in office. I don't know what your feelings are on the death penalty. I know that's kind of like, you know, don't talk about who you're voting for. Well, it used to be. <laughs> um, but still, the family needs closure, and one of the murders wants the death penalty. So, come on. Like, just do it. Get it done. You know, get closure for this family. But, anyways, finally on September 5th, 2013, the Washington State Supreme Court overturned Judge Ramsdale's ruling during the death penalty and ordered that the trials of Michelle and Joseph go on. So, let's start with Joseph's trial. They were both tried separately. I'll say that first. Now, a lot comes out about Joseph during the trial, and it's honestly kind of heartbreaking. There's video of his interview during the trial. You can find several videos, actually, on um, of, like, raw footage of him and his interviews from the trial. So, definitely check those out if you are interested. And I don't mean... I sympathize with his actions here. I mean, we find out some horrific things about his childhood and how he was, or he has a debilitating mental illness, and that just always kind of breaks my heart because it's definitely the stereotypical mental illness where they were abused as a child and wind up being a murderer. Now, that doesn't justify their actions, but had things taken place in their past or in their childhood to help them, then maybe this wouldn't be the outcome. But, again, that's another debate for another day. Um, but, anyways, on January 20th, 2015, McEnroe was escorted to King County Superior Court in Seattle for his trial. King County Prosecutor Scott O'Toole was pushing for McEnroe to be sentenced to death, while McEnroe's defense attorney argued that McEnroe was mentally ill and had been coerced into killing the family by Anderson. Joseph showed little emotion throughout most of the trial, but this changed, however, when he took the stand on April 3rd, 2015. He was barely able to string sentences together due to being so heavily medicated with anti-anxiety and antidepressants. At one point, he began laughing hysterically, and when describing the look on Judy Anderson's face when he shot her, he put his arms over his head and ultimately broke down crying, and he started rocking back and forth uncontrollably. It was honestly kind of disturbing or uncomfortable to watch. Due to his mental illness, it was obvious that Joseph was easily manipulated by Michelle Anderson, and he had claimed that he felt he had no choice but to participate in the killings. Prosecutors, however, wanted to convince the jury that Joseph played an equal role here. On being questioned by a prosecutor, O'Toole, McEnroe lashed out. He said, you know what? If you want to kill me, go ahead, kill me. I don't care. So keep in mind here, the death penalty was on the table, and the defense was trying desperately to get him life in prison, not death. So in reference to the plans for murdering the family, O'Toole asked, you were excited about this, were you not? Which McEnroe responded, absolutely not. The prosecutor pressed Joseph even more, asking him if... It was his idea to, quote, 
bait the trap for Scott, Erica, and the children by cleaning the house and hiding the bodies of Judy and Wayne in the shed. Joseph then replied that he was not trying to excuse his actions, but rather only explain what happened. O'Toole also told the jury that Michelle could not load the guns, so Joseph had to do it for her. That he also brought extra bullets. Proving his point, the, off- the prosecutor said, I think we established none of these murders would have happened without you. And McEnroe agreed. He said, unfortunately, that is completely true. Yes. And ultimately, on March 25th, 2015, the jury found Joseph McEnroe guilty on six counts of aggravated first-degree murder. Now, in the in Washington State, for the jury to recommend the death penalty, all jurors must be in favor. In this case, however, eight jurors ruled in favor of sentencing McEnroe to death, while four of them did not. This meant the death penalty was not an option. On May 13, 2015, McEnroe was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, in response to reporters' questions regarding the outcome of Joseph's trial, Pam Mantle, which is Erica's mother, Scott Anderson's mother-in-law, she said, He has no respect for anyone. He had no respect for the two people that were the kindest to him, which were Wayne and Judy, who took him in, and he shot them and threw them in the backyard. I have nothing to say about him. So now let's move on to Michelle's trial. As a result of the outcome of Joseph's trial, the prosecutor, Dan Satterberg, announced that Michelle Anderson would not face the death penalty here. He said, to proceed with the death penalty against the defendant, Anderson, in light of the sentence imposed on defendant McEnroe, it would not be in the interest of justice. So on January 25th, 2016, Michelle Anderson's trial began. In his opening statements, the prosecutor stated that the motive for these murders is pure, unadulterated greed, referring to an interview that Michelle did with the detective in which she brought up money more than 35 times in her explanation as to why she killed her family. The tape of Anderson's confession sent mixed messages to the jury. She called herself a monster, quote-unquote, at one point, and a bad person for murdering her family. Then said her mother, father, and brother abused her over the years. Quote-unquote, I wasted my life because of these bleep. (laughs) It's not fair. Quote-unquote. It was also revealed during the trial that Michelle hated Erica because she felt that Erica pushed her out of her brother's life. The prosecutor said Erica was the person that Michelle Anderson truly, truly hated. Now, towards the end of the trial, Michelle had an outburst in which she yelled at the judge, telling him she was going to file charges against her court-appointed attorneys, who she was convinced had been lying to her. She had wanted to temporarily leave jail and find her own private counsel, but she was obviously not granted that permission. So, for this, she blamed the judge. She said, he was violating her rights. Now, I will say that Anderson's attorneys did not call a single witness to the stand during her trial, citing how difficult she had been refusing to cooperate or communicate with them for years. 
So basically, she brought all of this on herself. Now, obviously, I feel like the attorneys could have done more, but I'm not an attorney. I don't know how difficult it is to work with people, and she clearly seems to be a difficult client. So on March 4th, 2016, Michelle Anderson was convicted of six counts of aggravated murder in the first degree. And on April 21st, she was sentenced to life in in prison without the possibility of parole. During her sentencing hearing, Pam Mantle, again Scott Anderson's mother-in-law, addressed Michelle saying, I don't think you're big and tough, Michelle. I think you're a bully and a coward. I am brokenhearted. Every day I miss those six people. Lastly, Michelle's older sister, Mary, said to Michelle, It kills me. I loved you so much. Just know they loved you too. Ugh, such a sad case. This is one I definitely love to know your thoughts on. I mean, what are your thoughts about Joseph McEnroe's involvement? Um, He was clearly just as evil, but obviously clearly messed up in the head and easily manipulated by Michelle. Um, And I do believe that Michelle is 100% the mastermind. I don't think Joseph would have even thought twice about hurting these people. It was 100% her. Does that mean he deserves a lesser sentence? No, obviously not. But again... Lots of debate, I think, in this case with the death penalty and, and Joseph's mental illness. You know, I just, ugh, just a lot to think about on this one. Um, but I would love to know your thoughts. So head on over to the podcast Instagram page, shoot me a direct message, or you can always comment on the that episode's post that I put out. When the episode goes out, you can always comment there and let me know your thoughts. So that concludes this week's episode, the first Christmas episode of the season. I hope you are enjoying these seasonal episodes. I think they're kind of fun. Um, But like I said earlier, I'm going to try to put out three Christmas episodes like we did for Halloween. Um, We had a little bit more time in October, but I'm going to try to get you guys three episodes. So I should be back here next week and maybe one of my like shorter bonus style episodes or it could be a regular one. I have a few cases in mind that I want to cover. Um, it's just a matter of having the time to get it, get all the information and get it recorded. (laughs) So look out for the next week's episode. I should be back here and I'm not going to say I should be. I'm going to definitely be back here next week. Just join me next week. Be back here. Be prepared. And in the meantime, I hope you all enjoy the start of December. Enjoy your Christmas festivities as much as possible. And other than that, I will be back here next week, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Have a good week. Stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys.